seat. Wow, what a song. And uh, man, I couldn't hardly contain myself as I was backstage singing that with you, worshiping with you. And I want to ask you a question. This has just struck me in the first service. I want to ask you this. Is it well with your soul? I mean, it's easy to sing words like that, isn't it? And what a beautiful song and powerful song. But, but can you really sing that today? And you can honestly say, you know what? In spite of the circumstances, Bart, yeah, it is well with my soul. You know, this week I've been praying, as I know what I'm going to be talking about, knowing what I was going to be talking about with you today, I've been praying all week that that, that would be something that we would truly be able to say with integrity, that yes, it, it's well within my soul in spite of the things that are happening all around me and facing some challenges, some difficulties, but there is an internal peace that I have. Is that something that is really possible? Is it something that we can have in our lives in spite of our circumstances? We're in this series called Stand Firm. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to go with me to 1 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 3 again. We're going to look at a few other passages. And, uh, and, and again, is it possible to have this kind of internal joy? This kind of peace that can't be touched by anything else on the outside? What about this? Here's a question. Even if people are mistreating you, Man, have people ever mistreat you? Anybody ever been done wrong by somebody before, right? You can probably all raise your hands. We know this, that people can be a challenge. I was getting this, this message ready this week, and while I was working on it, someone sent me this. Look at this right here. I love God, but some of his children get on my last nerves. Anybody feel that, right? I mean, sometimes people can be really difficult, and they can, they can mistreat us, and there's kind of sometimes a cycle of mis mistreating one another that can begin to happen? Can I have really some joy in my life that can't be touched by even people who are, who are maybe not treating me right? Well, Peter was writing to a group of Christians who were going through some very challenging times. They were being terribly wronged by the community and the culture in which they lived in. And Peter's going to tell them, he's going to say, listen, as believers, when you really begin to live your faith out, you are going to face some opposition. You're, you're going to find sometimes that living your faith out, you're going to even suffer some persecution. And so there were those that were starting to really treat them just very poorly and persecute them. And they were suffering for being Christians even. Some of them were losing their lives. And so think about that. If that were happening in the context of, of our community and in our church and Peter's coming along and he's going to start talking about this internal joy that you actually can possess. He's going to say to them, remember this, that in this world, you're, you're a foreigner if you are a believer. You're an alien. You don't quite belong anymore. You're a citizen of heaven. You're not so much even a citizen of this world. And in fact, you're, a, you're an ambassador of Jesus as you live in this broken world. He's going to say to them, listen, I don't want you only to just survive some of the hostility. He's going to say, I want you to know how to begin to actually thrive in this. Can you actually have the good life Peter talks about in this kind of circumstance where things maybe aren't falling into place for you and people are even mistreating you? He talks about how can you love life? Is that something that we can do? Now, it, we talked last week about the good life that a lot of times people equate the good life with the external circumstances. Do I have money in the bank? Do I, do I have possessions? Do, and maybe I'm getting to live the party lifestyle. And many people are pursuing the good life with all of these outside things, and yet they're dissatisfied. 
those things make up the good life. And we, we even looked at Solomon last week for a moment who had everything that the world has to offer. He was pursuing the good life and Solomon said this, remember this? So I came to hate life. I got to this place where I wasn't even enjoying life. Well, Peter is going to begin to give these believers a prescription of how to actually love the life that you have in spite of your circumstances. And it's not so much the the thing that the world tells you that you can have. The, The question remains, how do we love life? How do we go to having a life where our days are meaningful? We're satisfied within our lives and Peter's going to tell these Christians, and he tells us this today, that even though we're going through maybe some hardships, and I know many of you may be facing some things, some of you may be being mistreated by others at this point. What Peter is going to say, this is how to have the good life. Write this down. The good life isn't found in our external circumstances, but it's rather found in our internal attitudes. This is what he begins to talk about. What's going on inside of you that can't be touched by others. Now, remember, these believers were most likely not experiencing anything like what Solomon experienced. Solomon had everything. These believers were most likely very poor. They were deprived. They were tempted. They were living in a dangerous kind of time. They were being persecuted by following Christ. They were being uh, venomously hated by their culture. Their, their culture was intolerant towards them and their faith. People were maligning them and talking down on them. Well, how does this apply to us today? Well, here in the, in the United States, we may not face that kind of persecution like these believers were. But here is what I want to tell you today. That, that when you decide to really follow Jesus, when you decide that you are going to be a follower of his, Jesus never said it would be easy. He never said that that would be something that would be easy for us. And and you actually decide to move out of being what would maybe some would classify as kind of casual Christianity, but you actually start really living your faith out day to day and in your relationships and you actually choose to do the things that God has called you to do, what you're going to find sometimes is that there are going to be those that are going to oppose you. They're going to resist you. They may even speak bad about you and, and, and characterize you in a way that is unfair. You may face some ridicule. If you are a teenager and you decide to start living for Christ in your school, whatever school that may be, you might get harassed a little bit. You're going to face some peer pressure. Are you going to be able to live your faith out? And In fact, Paul would write and he would say this, because I just want to give you the truth about this. I don't want to paint this picture that is untrue. I want to show you what the Bible says. Paul, who was imprisoned for the gospel, wasn't long after this. He would would lose his life for the gospel. He said in 2 Timothy 3, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I mean, Paul said it. Paul didn't mince words. Peter didn't mince words. And he said, so here is what you need to know. You can't control all the things that are going on around you, but you can control what's going on inside of you and your responses. He says this in chapter 3. Let's just recap. He says, verse 8, he says, finally, remember this is a summation of all of these characteristics of how we are to submit to one another within our lives. And, and, in, and in doing that, remember the word submission is entrusting ourselves to God into voluntary selflessness. That we, that we die to self. 
So he says, finally, all of you, and he's going to give these internal attitudes, what we should begin to see happening in our lives as Christians. All of you should be of one mind. That's harmonious. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tenderhearted and keep a humble, what's the next word, church? Help me out. Attitude, he says. Keep a humble humble attitude. These are all choices of an internal attitude that we have with other people who are in our lives. And it's all rooted in humility, a humility like Jesus had. Now, this next verse is where we're going to kind of dig in today and begin to, to see these attitudes, how they begin to flesh out within our life, in our responses. Now, remember, in this context, Peter is telling them how to love life. So let's keep reading. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with, are you kidding me? A what? A blessing? You know that word is eulageo, it means to speak well of. What are you talking about? He goes on and he says, now remember, he's giving a recipe for the good life. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life, that's translated love life, And see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. In the original language, this this verb is, one, it's an imperative command, but it's it's a verb, it's called an aorist here. And it's one, a, a command with continuation. You have to continually work at maintaining peace. It's not something that's a one-time act. It's something that you have to cultivate every day. What that means is keep on working at forgiving. Keep on working at at being humble. Keep on overlooking offenses. What he's saying is if you want to have the good life, stop being so offendable. Where we often get offended at so many different things and And some things are legitimate things that we do get offended at, okay? We're not saying there's not legitimate things we... But some of us are so sensitive and and we, we wonder why our lives constantly we're offended by things that others do and say. And we wonder why our lives are absent of peace. And what he's saying is, get a little thicker skin. Softer heart, but thicker skin. Okay? And so look at what he says. Work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right and his ears are open to their prayers, right? So what he's saying is there's a relationship with God that's going on. What what God sees whenever you decide to do the right thing and obey him, God sees it. God's listening to you. God's beginning to respond to you with those help, like Shauna talked about, the help that you need in those situations. But look at this, but the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Now who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? Well, there's a couple of possibilities that we find here. It's a rhetorical question Peter's asking. The truth is most will not. I mean, when you're doing right and you're living life in this kind of manner, a lot of people are going to kind of live and let live with you. But, But in this case, they were doing right and they were being mistreated. And Peter's saying, well, who will want to be this way? We need to know what Peter is saying is there's always going to be difficult people. There's always going to be someone that's going to oppose you or going to be kind of a thorn in your side. There will always be people that will mistreat you even when you choose to do right. This is what he's getting at. It's not smooth sailing just because you're living a godly life. You're often going to face opposition, he says. But look at what he says. But even if you suffer for doing what is right, 
God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, here's your response, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and a respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ, Christian. Remember, it's better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. You know, I have to be honest with you. Over the last several weeks, I've been reading this passage over and over and over again, just really trying to get a grasp on it, really trying to apply it in my own life because I don't like to preach things that I'm not applying. I want to be sure that I'm having integrity as I speak to you about this. And I was really just kind of taking this passage in and I keep reading it. And I got to tell you, just keeping it real with you, I would feel this natural resistance to this passage, almost like I'm just being real. I don't like it. Anybody else feel that? Like, man, I I feel this resistance to this. And and I don't know, I've I've been thinking this, I don't know at least for me personally, if there's anything more challenging in my personal walk with Christ and my Christian faith uh, with a personality that's like mine, that's maybe a little more type A, okay, uh, than to refrain from retaliation or to maybe just choose to actually, and this is kind of mind-blowing, bless somebody that's cursing me. Does anybody else feel that? Like, man, are you kidding me? What is he talking about here? Well, what I can tell you is that this, we may think that this kind of Christianity is wimpy, but this kind of living your faith out is not for wimps. This takes incredible strength, right? And we see that strength in Jesus. I I started asking some of you who are in my life and I'm doing life with, hey, what do you think about this passage? Is this maybe the hardest thing for you? And I can't tell you how many of you said, yeah, man, that is the hardest thing ever. I asked my wife, I was like, what do you think, babe? What do you think about this? Is this the hardest thing for you? She said, no, I think it's more for me. It's not complaining in things. And I didn't touch that, man. I just left that right where that was, okay? And, uh, and I'm like, well, okay. And, and this is for me, right? And, and in fact, I, I was talking to the staff. What do you guys think? I also, I told our staff, I said, inevitably, when I preach something like this, I, I am going to be tested by God that week, I know. God's going God's to test me in some kind of way. And Pastor Randy and I were talking about it. I said, what do you think about it? And he said, I'll tell you this. I will, I, will, I will be an instrument by God to test you in this this week if you want. I will come up. We talked about turning the other cheek. I will come up. I will just out of nowhere slap you in the face and start verbally assaulting you. And let's see how that goes. And I said... I'm so grateful that you are a man who is so selfless and that you would test me in that manner. And, uh, and so anyhow, but, but this passage isn't just hard for me to preach because it's hard for me to apply. Man, it's hard for me to preach because as a pastor and I talk to so many of you, I know that some of you are being mistreated by people. And I know that whenever I preach on this and I started it last week, it stirs up so many emotions that some of you are dealing with And I know that it's going to be something that you're confronted with and that you're grappling with. And some of you, it hurts. And I can feel the resistance rising in the room whenever you read a passage like this because it's so hard, right? And and, and it's something that is difficult. I know some of you have been wounded in ways that I can't understand. 
And I can often feel this kind of just resistance to this because this directive from the Lord to bless those that curse us, man, it is so opposite of what our flesh wants to do. Our flesh does not want to do this. It does not in any way, right, and, and, and in any way want to do this. And, 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 right, there can be this fear. I think a lot of times it's, we don't want to do this because there's this fear or this concern that if I, if I, if I go this route, then I kind of lose control. And this person, whoever that may be for you, they're going to get away with it. And that bothers me. Remember several years ago, right after we started EBC, I was really, and I've shared some of this before, I was struggling with some deep wounds. I've shared with you some of my deepest wounds as, as a pastor is from other pastors. And, and I have some of those that I wrestled with and, 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 and I was struggling at that point uh, as I'd started EBC and I hadn't dealt with some of those wounds that were in my own life. And I thought I could compartmentalize some of that pain from my past and just kind of get over it and just begin to move into other things. But I started finding out that that's not possible. That if you don't deal with some of those wounds in your, in your life, in, in God's kind of way, whether you like it or not, not, those things begin to bleed over into your other relationships. And that started happening even in my own family, stuff that they didn't have anything to do with. And I started finding myself becoming more cynical uh, as I was pastoring and more callous towards people. My compassion level wasn't, wasn't as good as it should have been in a lot of ways. And, and I started just struggling so much. And I had a few high-maintenance people that were in my life that I was pastoring. And I was really struggling with my patience with them. I even found out at one point that they were kind of running their mouths about me behind my back. And I found out some of this. And again, my personality is, oh, it's on, right? I mean, I thought... I, I've got to go take care of this. And, and, and they were saying some things that were untrue. I responded in a really harsh manner that felt so good at that time. Right? But it didn't fix it like I thought it would fix it. You know what it did? It surely robbed me of any shred of peace or joy in my life. And it complicated my life further. Because I tried to do it my way. I tried to do it the way that my my flesh says to do those kinds of things. And fortunately at that time in my life, in God's grace, he brought a mentor into my life, a guy that I've told you about before. His name was Cecil McGee. Cecil is there with Jesus now in heaven. Cecil was like my Yoda. He was like 5'1", 5'2", okay? And he was my Yoda. He was this little guy who was closer to the Lord, an 85-year-old man that God brought into my life at that hard point in my life. He was closer to Jesus than anybody I'd ever known. And just Christ just emanated from him. And the radiance of God was just, it was just coming out of his face. And the way that he talked was so godly. And he had such wisdom. And I started meeting with him. And I was sharing with him about my struggles with those people. You know what I mean? Those people. And he listened for a few weeks. I keep going back week after week. And finally, he gets to the place. And he said, Bart. You've talked a lot about those people, but here's what I want you to know. You can't control those people. And he said, what I want you to know is you are your own biggest problem. And man, it ticked me off. I was so upset with him at that point. And he said this. Now, this isn't a point that's going to come up on the screen, but he said, if you want 
peace in your life, if you want to say, it is well with my soul, you need to learn to forgive those who have wounded you in your past because it is going to help you better love and have patience with those who are currently in your present. And again, not a point on the screen, but some of you need to hear that today because you haven't dealt with something from the past. Man, it made me mad when he said this, and I remember saying, I barely would even let him get it out. I said, Cecil, I can't love them. And he said, finally. This response was, you're right. You do not have it in you to do this. And then he took me to a passage of scripture where he began to remind me of what Christ has done for me, not only in saving me from the things that are in my past and my salvation, Jesus not only has forgiven me of my past, but he also, he said, but I want you to see and hear the gift that he gives you and the divine power that he gives you today to do things that you can't think in any way that you can do. And he said, it's a gift and you're, you're not utilizing this gift that God has given you. And it's a gift for all of you as well if you are in Jesus Christ. He took me to Romans 5 and he said, look at this. Therefore, since we have been made right, since we have been justified in God's sight by faith, we have, what do we have? Peace. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. The scripture would tell us that we're enemies with God, that we don't deserve this. Uh, But because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand right now. It's my current position that I'm in. And he says, stand firm in this, right? And now listen to some of these descriptive words of how we can live. And, And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice Notice it doesn't say it's automatic for you. No, what this would indicate is you have to choose to to, to step into this and and apply this truth that is there for for the taking for you. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us to develop endurance. We can have peace and joy in spite of these external things happening around us. And endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of our salvation and this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know this do you hear the confidence we know that God dearly loves us so now this is how you can begin to walk okay this was a truth that God taught me in this and I have to reapply this truth on a daily basis this isn't up on the screen, but some of you need to hear this. I don't need others' approval to be happy. I don't need others to approve of me and accept me because here's what this says. I've been accepted by Jesus. This is where I currently stand. This is where I'm at. Jesus has, has approved me not because I deserved it, but because of his grace. And so I don't need others' approval to be happy, all right? He goes on and he says, listen, and he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Did you hear that? You can't do it. Your flesh is not capable of pulling this off, what God is commanding us and and, and entreating us to do. It's something that is so radical. That's why our flesh, we, we start reading it and it's opposed to this because it's a supernatural thing that he's asking you to do. It's supernatural and we get frustrated about it because we try to do it in the natural man and you can't. 
God doesn't call us as believers, though, and command us to do anything that he does not equip us and empower us to accomplish. So he's not giving us these, this prescription and saying, good luck trying to work this out in your own flesh. He's saying, no, I'm going to help you with this. When you came to faith in Christ, he saved you and he took care of your past, but he also gives you the gift of the Spirit to help you manage what's going on in your life right now. To be able to carry out things that you never thought that you would be able to do. To be able to love people that are unlovable. To forgive people of things that, in the world's description, would be unforgivable. And maybe even our description. And get this, even bless people who curse you. What? So as a believer, you're already loved and accepted by God and to live the good life, this is what I have to make a choice to do. Write this down. I have to choose to trust that God has filled my heart with his divine love for others. Because I just don't have it in me. I really don't. And if you're like me and you're feeling this resistance, what you are probably feeling at this moment is you are, and I'll tell you, you are at a critical crossroad not one that determines your salvation because that's applied because of your faith in Jesus Christ, but you're at a crossroad right now at this moment to determine whether or not you're going to live the good life the way that God prescribes you can live the good life and love life, or you can keep trying to do this your way. And the question is, how's that working? How's it working? Is your happiness going to be contingent upon your external circumstances? Your happiness going to be contingent upon the fact that you've got some people that are difficult in your life? Or you can choose to believe in faith that what God is calling you to do with those who are wronging you or who have wronged you can actually be done not through your power but by his power. It's the same power, by the way, that he gave Peter and he gave Paul and all of the other apostles. It's the same Holy Spirit today. And he gives this to us. Peter is saying, this is how to love life. This is how to actually have the good life. Is to press into God with faith. And to allow him to begin to transform my internal attitudes. What were those internal attitudes? Remember last week? They were be of one mind or harmonious. Sympathetic with others. A loyal, brotherly kind of love. It's a humble-minded kind of way of living. Though all these things that would describe Jesus living righteously. Now, it would seem that if we would live that way that nobody would have a problem with us, right? That everybody would be okay. So rhetorically, Peter asks this, now who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? Well, the answer, again, is normally nobody. If you're truly eager to do good in the sight of God and man, though, you should have nothing to fear. And most of the time, for most of us, that's how that works out. But when, when we play by the rules right, a lot of times it can be smooth sailing. But, but many times it's not. Many times because you are choosing to do the right thing, you might suffer a little bit. This is where some of you might be. Maybe, you, you, you know, you've been treated wrongly. Look at what he says. But even if you suffer for doing what is right. Now, why does that happen? Even when you do what isn't right. Because the world is broken. People are broken. And this is the world that we live in right now. This isn't heaven. And he says, but even if you suffer for doing what is right, what Peter is saying is doing what is right does not guarantee a trouble-free life. Then he's going to begin to talk about this a little bit. What do we do then? 
what, what is our response to be? Well, there's a couple of ways that we can handle this, and this is where many of us live, is at this level right here. We return good for good and evil for evil, and basically, this is the human response. This is, this is what just about anybody can do. This is how most of us respond, where most of us live. It's natural. Or we take it to a higher level where Jesus was at, and he empowers us to live. This is what he's saying, I want you to do because you're different. You're foreigners in this world. You should look different, Christian. We return good for evil. This is the divine response. Jesus lived at this level and he said, I want you to imitate me. You wear my name, Christian. I want you to look like me. And when you do this, it's going to be a challenge. Now remember who's writing this. It's Peter. Man, this is the guy, think about a moment, that he's writing to these suffering Christians, and this is the same dude who, in the Garden of Gethsemane, grabbed a sword, and he was trying to defend Jesus, which Jesus didn't need his defense, right? Remember Jesus, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this, when he spoke, they fell to the ground because of his power. He didn't need Peter to take the sword on his behalf. But Peter did, and it, he chopped off that guy's ear. He wasn't like masterful with the sword. I'm going to just take your ear. He was going for the head. He wasn't any good with the sword. He was a fisherman. And what does Jesus do? He picks the guy's ear up. He heals him, and he said, this isn't the time for the sword. You see, you have to go all the way back. Where did Peter get this? What, why is he now giving this response to these people who are being wrong? What transformed him? What changed his heart? He goes back to the place of when he spent time with Jesus in those three years. And, it, and Jesus delivered this radical sermon, what's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's this, it's this sermon where Jesus is talking to all of these people and he's saying, you have heard it said that this is how you find the good life. And he uses this word, how to be happy. The word in the Greek is makarios. How to be happy. It's called the Beatitudes. And Jesus would say, blessed are those who, and you know the rest of some of that, right? And he goes on to this point. He says, God blesses, that's that word makarios, those who are persecuted for doing right. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. These are the words of Jesus and Peter's listening. God blesses. You, when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Now listen to how radical this is that Jesus says. Be happy about it. What? Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. And he's going to go on and he says, says to Christians, you are salt in a decaying world. You should bring preservation and, and, and stop the decay. You are light in a dark world. You should light up where you're at. That's what he's going to say. And then he gets to verse 16. In the same way as the salt and the light, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. So what Jesus is saying, what Peter is saying is the way that you respond, it does matter. It matters. Right? So what's my response to be? In faith, here's some takeaways, all right? Here's something that we as Christians, Peter calls us to do straight from his word. In faith, what I want to do, he's taking this page straight out of the playbook of Jesus, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he's going to say, I'm going to give you practical applications. This is what you do. Write these things down. Number one, I, I cheer up. I know that may make some of you mad. Right? Because it's not what you want to do. But again, Jesus is using the word makarios. Peter is using the word makarios. It's this word blessed. And it's 
Happy are those who do things what God says my way. You're going to have this kind of happiness, blessed by God. God's going to have his hand on your life when you choose to do these things. doesn't mean everything's going to be easy, but you're going to have an internal thing that can't be touched by, by others. Blessed are you when you deny yourself the right to get even is what he's saying here. Blessed are you when you deny yourself this desire that we all have to take revenge when we're wrong. Back to 1 Peter chapter 3, he says this, The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right and his ears are open to their prayers. When? Right now. While you're living your life right now, God is listening and he's, he's, he's communicating with you and you have relationship with him. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. It's the same things Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. God will bless you for it. God sees it. It doesn't go unnoticed by God. And to you as a believer, that's what should matter most. Are you pleasing God? Peter is saying these things. He's not just saying, cheer up, get over it, keep your chin up, pretend nothing bad is happening. That's not what he's saying. He's not telling you to put on a a fake smile and act as if everything is good. What he's saying here is that if you want to handle things your way, God is going to remove his hand from it. And he's going to let you go ahead, but it most likely is going to complicate things. Or you can trust God and have the internal peace and the internal joy that he says, I offer you in spite of your circumstances. So here's what we do. What do we do? We cheer up. Here's the next part. We give up. Now, I know we're like, if you like to win, like I like to win, we don't like this. What do you mean give up? Well, here's what we give up. We give up our right to get even. This is when you choose to step into the higher calling of forgiveness. Remember, Forgiveness, we've talked about it. It's not that you just pretend it didn't happen. What forgiveness is, is releasing somebody of a debt that they owe you. You're taking them off of your hook and you're putting them back onto God's hook. It's, it's, it's not that you're just acting as if nothing ever happened. You're giving up your right to get even because you're saying, God, I'm trusting that you're going to take care of this. For many of us, the cycle of retaliation just keeps going on in our lives and in our families and 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 it's so dysfunctional and it's so unhealthy and many of us and many of our families don't have this joy and this peace in our lives and at some point what Peter is saying a believer has to step up and in faith in the cycle of retaliation and say you know what God you're big enough to handle this I don't have to I'm gonna trust you in this. We give up our right to get even. We give up our fear that justice will not be served because that's why many of us don't want to do this. They're going to get away with it. Well, what does Paul say? Never pay back evil with more evil. It's the same stuff Peter's saying. It's the same stuff Jesus said. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Now, here's the implication. There are people that are always going to be in your life. You can do what you can do, but they will never be peaceable with you. But he says, do what you can. Do what you can. Dear friends, never. The last time I looked at the word never in the original language, it actually means this. Never. Take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God for the scriptures say, this is where your faith steps in, I will revenge. 
I will pay them back. That's what God says. I will take care of this. Let God set the record straight. Instead, if your enemies, oh my goodness, this this just rocks me every time I read this. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. I want us to read this as an act of worship, verse 21. And I know this makes us uncomfortable and unhealthy. I want to echo again, Jesus never said following him would be easy. This is where the rubber meets the road of your faith. You want an an easy Christianity? You're going to have to stop reading the Bible because the Bible's going to confront you about things that you don't like. So let's say verse 21 together. What does he say? Say it with me. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Someone has to stop the cycle of dysfunction and be bigger. And what Jesus and Peter and Paul is saying is, Christian, it ought to be you. I've called you to something bigger than what's happening right now. So we give these things up. What else do we give up? We give up our fear. He says, so don't, we give up our fear. So don't worry. Don't worry or be afraid about their threats. What he's saying is when you begin to entrust me in, or yourself into my hands, he was actually quoting Isaiah where the prophet was speaking to a group of terrified people who were Jews that were being assaulted by the Assyrians. The Assyrians surrounded them. They were going to sack the city. And, and what he's saying is in the middle of this hopeless situation, Peter quotes Isaiah. He says, you may be surrounded, but don't forget who is with you. It is Emmanuel. God with us. And God is on your side. You plus God equals more than your enemies plus anything or anybody. And he's saying you got to step into that. So let me ask you this. Who has you worried today? God says stop worrying about them and their threats. He says I want you to trust me. God says no other person dictates your life. I order your steps. Your life is in my hands. So he says, give up your fear and your worry. Don't be intimidated. And now he says, and this is what I want you to do. You move from worry to worship. So now you look up. You look up. You stop worrying and being fearful. And and in this act of worship, you offer this situation up to God. He says, instead, you must worship Christ as, and and this this is the point. Words in the Bible mean something. Worship Christ as Lord of your life even this situation that you want to be Lord over. What he's saying is you can keep trying to be Lord of that situation and handle it your way, or you can step into the Lordship that I've called you to. I'm Lord of your life and entrust it to me. You can keep trying to control it and manage it and micromanage it, or you can begin to choose the good life and have a peace that God offers you And let God begin to work. I'm not telling you that it's all going to work out perfectly. By the way, you should know Peter ultimately was crucified. He was crucified upside down. But what he's saying is nobody can take this internal joy from me. So here's what you do. You look up and now here's what you also do. There are times where you must speak up. And we see this. There's a time to be silent. Jesus was silent before the Sanhedrin as they falsely accused him. And it wasn't just a passive, aggressive silence. Because I know some of us, 
we're really good at being silent, but it's to punish others who are around us. You know what I'm talking about? That's not what he's saying. It's not a passive-aggressive silence. Jesus was silent at times where he needed to be silent because he knew that the allegations that they were making against him were ridiculous. And he wouldn't even dignify it. But there was also a time where Jesus spoke up and he spoke truth when truth needed to be spoken. When they asked him, as he stood before the Sanhedrin, they made all these ridiculous allegations. They said, are you the son of God? He spoke up and he said, the I am is here. That takes courage. He said, I'm going to speak the truth in love to you. You'll not, what what he's going to say, look at verse 9. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Some of you really need to apply this to your social media accounts, okay? Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessings. What he's saying is you'll not live the good life if you spend all of your time feeling like you always have to have the last word, answering every single insult with another insult, another Facebook post with your retort, right? That you always have to say the last thing, engaging back and forth in all the verbal volleys. He says, if you want the good life, you need to leave that behind because you'll not have it if you always feel like you have to win right now. As believers, what he's saying is you're called to something better. You're called to something higher. Well, then am I just called to be a mute? Am I called to never speak up? No, there's a time to speak up. And, 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 and you're going to see that Jesus would speak up and he would say certain things to, and he would confront the Pharisees at certain points. And, and it often was in defense of those that they were mistreating. But whenever it came to what was happening with him, he allowed the father to take care of his defense. He always took up for others. He always stood up against religious hypocrisy. But Peter is saying, you don't always have to have the last word. But he says, verse 15b, if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But look at how you do this. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. This, this word explain here, it's the word apologia. It's, it's where we get our word for apologetics. It's not apologizing for your faith. It's just that you have a good grip on understanding what it is that you believe and why you believe it. And when people start to see something different that's happening in your life, you can explain to them about the hope that you have. But look, what you say matters, but did you see that the way you say, the way you say it matters too? Because he says with gentleness, that's meekness. That's not weak. It's just strength under control and with respect. You don't condescend. You don't, you don't think that arguing is, is, is answering, right? Do you think that you will argue somebody into the kingdom of God? If you're, that's your mindset. He's saying that's not how it's done. Listen, how do we do this? We listen to others. We, we let them finish sentences. We don't always have to formulate our answer. We, we actually listen, and then we begin to share what God is doing in our lives. They're going to say, man, I see something that's different. And then he says, finally, keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. So here's your final takeaway. What do I do? I speak up. But here's what I also need to do. I need to shape up. 
Peter calls us to a life of integrity. He says, keep your conscience clear. Stop being hypocritical. Be truthful with people. Keep your word. Be known for compassion, right? Watch your mouth. Don't engage in the gossip like everybody else does. Don't run other people down. Work hard when you're at work, you know, and and share with those who are in need. And Jesus lived a blameless life, and he calls us to live this kind of life as we imitate him. And there are many people in this world who are malicious and who are spiteful and vindictive, and we can't avoid being around them. We can't control them, but we can make the choice as a believer to live our life in faith, standing firm, loving God, loving people, and letting our lives be known as a life of integrity. A lot of times I meet with, with lots of folks, and, and I meet with young men, and, and, I, and I say this to them because I'm trying to encourage them. I'm, I'm not trying to be mean when I say this to them, but if they are a believer and, and, and they're maybe in school and they have others who are in their life, here's what I say to them. I say, listen to me. Listen, I want to encourage you in this. I'm not perfect in this, and you won't be either, but you got to be a person of integrity. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, you got to realize that there are other people that are watching you. If you're going to wear that I am second thing on your wrist, you better be second. If you're going to wear a cross around your neck, you better understand what you're saying as you're following Jesus. you got to understand that it's more than just a piece of jewelry. And again, I don't say those things to be mean. If you're going to have a fish on the back of your car, here's what I want to say. If you're going to have an EVC bumper sticker, some of you need to take that off, man. If you're gonna, if you're gonna do those things, what, what you gotta understand is that people are watching you. And you don't wanna give them a reason. You don't wanna be the reason that they slander Jesus. Right? So what he's saying is shape up. Keep your conscience clear. Live a good life in front of others so that they want what you have. They may even be hateful to you, but in their heart of hearts, they see that you have something that they don't. Man, this is a tough sermon today. I'm gonna ask us just to bow our heads before the Lord. Father, today, Lord, we receive this word, and, I, and, and as I've acknowledged earlier, Lord, these are some hard words that are from you to receive. And so, Lord, for many of us, we are going to have to just choose to believe that what your word says is true. And that you are going to equip us and empower us to live this out. Lord, there are some people, my brothers and sisters, who are in here today that they are being treated so poorly by somebody else. And, Lord, that breaks my heart. Lord, we know that you're not calling us to be a doormat. Lord, you're, you're calling us to live a faith that, that is a challenging word, a challenging faith. We're actually having to put our life in your hands and trust that you love us and that you have and know what is best and good for us. We're trusting you, Lord, as we release some of our offenders to you. We're trusting you to set the record straight. We're trusting you, Lord, to heal some of the wounds that are there. Lord, may we be able to leave here today and say, not just mouthing a song mindlessly or without integrity, but to be able to say, it truly is well with my soul. 
So Lord, may your peace just flood the lives of your people today. We need you so much. We can't do this without you. Our world is so messed up, Lord, and it's so dark. Would you equip us and empower us to be the light that you called us to be? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me? And let's make this last song really just a song of just worship back to God as we give up and lift up and look up. Let's sing this back to him.